Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. All right. Super excited to have Carolina Kung on the call today. Um, Carolina is the head of platform at Frontline Ventures. And Carolina, I'd love to have you introduce yourself and what that role means at Frontline before we dive into how you see scaling SaaS within the B2B companies at Frontline. Yeah. So um, platform, I understand. I know what that sounds like. It's so fuzzy and it can mean so, ma so many different things depending who you ask. Um, to us, fr uh, platform is essentially about accelerating the learning curve of our founders uh, and CEOs. So what that means is I spend all of my time uh, identifying uh, common patterns and common pain points that exist within the portfolio. And I think about ways to share all the experience and the learnings that our founders have at scale. So uh, our, the whole concept is, you know, when you have an er when you're an early stage B2B SaaS fund like we are, you have 70, 70 portfolio companies, there's virtually no pain point that one of your founders will go through that one of his or her peers has not gone through already. And so the whole aim of platform is to help unearth and share those learnings uh, across across peers and peer sets to accelerate uh, um, to accelerate growth, essentially. Amazing. And that's why. So this is, as you know, a bit different than our normal guests, because normally we focus on, you know, the executives, uh, founders the, who are in the seat driving revenue. But I think this is really a, an important conversation to have because like you said, you know, you have more than 70 B2B portfolio companies and the pattern matching that you get to, you know, be privy to is is unparalleled. So let's start there. I mean, what are I, I'd love to dive into I think sometimes the mistakes are almost more valuable than you know what went right, because sometimes right can be luck. Um, so let's start with the mistakes. Like what are some of the most common mistakes you see across the portfolio that you try to educate the teams about before they make them? but obviously you saw firsthand. I think, you know, that's a really broad uh, question. So I'll probably focus on just one or two, because uh, literally when you're early, when you're pre-product, as many of our companies are, uh, you're making mistakes to learn, right? So, so part of that is just part of the journey. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times we see uh, companies that uh, start thinking about things like talent, and senior talent much later than they actually really should. They don't value how important it is to get the right people in at the right time from the beginning. You see that a lot in these conversations that are happening now around diversity and diversity hiring. If you build your hiring processes 
to be inclusive, then you will be able to build an inclusive environment. But it's much harder to do that when you're at a series A, series B, series C, and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I need to figure out how I'm gonna make. So that's one. Um, and then I think, you know, a lot of our companies end up uh, um, uh, trying to identify their product market fit and having to kind of change their plans around that. And that's normal. So I, I wouldn't really kind of relate that as a mistake, but just not being afraid. Uh, to think, uh, uh, to to really look at what's out there and build accordingly, and and make sure that you are serving uh, the the audience and not serving yourself. Um, so I think that those are are two. And then the U.S. Um, is a big one. Um, so uh, we briefly talked about this uh, in in our chat just now. But you're you know as a European as a European startup. You're not going to get to 100 million in ARR if the US is not in that picture for you. So, you know, we advise our companies to start thinking about how they want to break into the US market pretty early on in their journeys. Um, and that's important to start early because it's not easy. It's not a, 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 a you know, a one, one size fits all. Um, and things change all the time. Like the advice that we were giving companies in 2019 has completely changed to the advice that we will give them today. Uh, <laughs> things like, you know, remote hiring are becoming more and more important, but then how do you uh, work with the synchronous teams? How do you manage remote onboarding? Does the CEO still need to move there or not? Um, you know, there's a lot of issues. So just thinking about that early. Um, and the final thing that I would say is thinking about uh, your your follow on fundraising strategy early. Uh, you should be thinking about this around, uh, of course, it varies from company to company, but around six months after uh, initial investment, you should start thinking, okay, where do I want to take this now? And who would potentially be the right partners for me to do it with? Well, let's focus in on uh, the expansion into the U.S. Is there a specific on the revenue side of the business? So sales marketing, um, is there a specific revenue benchmark after which you start encouraging the companies to consider that expansion? I'd imagine it's probably industry specific, but how do you how and when do you begin thinking about that with founders? It's definitely industry specific. Um, and to be honest, that's not something that I do directly. So it's not really an area of expertise that I have a benchmark for. Um, uh, but, but what I can say is that when you do start thinking about that, you need to start thinking about things like product localization and even identifying where your demand signals are coming from. Um, I've spoken to some of our portfolio companies that see great demand out of New York City, but nowhere else. And they have trouble figuring out how to implement a go-to-market strategy that'll basically unlock the rest of the United States for them. So it, it's complicated. Um, but typically, uh, when we get to that stage, then that typically involves bringing in also external advisors to help with particular, uh, you know, with legal tax, uh, visa, uh, and more specific growth, uh, uh, growth strategies that I'm no longer involved with. Sure. So, um, you know, one of the things that we see all the time is this chicken and egg problem with hiring senior talent versus hiring teams that can actually execute those senior strategies. Usually, at least in the US, we see the VP of sales hire is usually the first prioritized senior hire. 
sales org is built out to a point at which marketing now needs to be spun up to meet that demand and feed uh, the pipe for those reps. What are you seeing over there as far as patterns in the timing of how how you build out those roles, who gets hired when, and what what sort of coaching are you giving to your companies? That's also a case by case. I think what what you know what's important is that we are industry agnostic, and that matters a lot, and that varies a lot depending on what exactly you're selling and who you're selling to. I'd say the pattern is similar, though. Um, you start typically with a VP, uh, a senior VP hire. Actually, we did um, in our Frontline X uh, report uh, that I mentioned to you earlier, one of the things that we found was that um, a lot of US companies that expand into Europe at the growth stage um, are hiring for marketing talent only like several years, uh, uh, even past the, the, the point that they're thinking about expansion and that that is a strategy that you know m- might cost them just because you need that expertise uh, in house by the time that 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 you're ready to think about going uh, going global and certainly if you're thinking about going to the US on the seats on the early stage side you need to have marketing expertise to identify the the completely different tactics and strategies and tools that you have in the US it's very different um, from my experiences when I uh, I was part of a fintech startup uh, Swiss-based, and I was part of the team that helped that startup expand into the U.S. And it was a huge learning experience for me because it was completely different in the U.S. The strategies that we utilized around, you know, going to large conferences and, and banking seminars and things that we didn't really do in Europe. Um, so that bit, I think, is is really important. So I'd love to go through some specific kind of companies where you use them as an example within the portfolio of what, you know, sprinting from post-product market fit, call it the 1 million ARR mark to 10 and beyond um, companies that did that exceptionally well, maybe faster than most. And some of the lessons in there that you now share across the portfolio as you know things to try to replicate. Um, yeah. So there's one example that I can think of is Pointy. And part of their success was definitely, and part of the reason that they uh, uh, they were recently acquired by Google, uh, and part of the reason that they were that successful was because they were able to break into the U.S. market at just the right point in time. And when they did that, they did that with a huge partnership, and that was Google. So that's huge. That's like a, a definitely if you're going into an unknown market, if you can bring in a partner that can help you solve and unlock that market, that's huge. Um, they're a great example of that. Um, and then there are others, uh, you know, we have, for example, a, a company called Signal that does media monitoring. And when, uh, you know, fake news first started coming into the news, they did a, a first started becoming a thing. <laughs> Whenever that was, it feels like so long ago, they did a really good job of, of getting on top of that narrative. And at the beginning, it was very much a US centric narrative. And they're a U- European based company. They did a great job at kind of tailoring their tool and their product to respond and to be able to deal and identify uh, examples of fake news, and that immediately introduced them into the conversation in the U.S. Um, so being aware of what is happening over there uh, and being aware of how, you know, product localization matters for you to be able to break in there, I think is really important. Those are two good uh, good examples of that. And so, you know, the partnerships thing, 
could you dive into some of the tactical pieces of that? Like how did they, how did they, as a European company entering the U S for the first time, what were some of the steps that they took? Um, what's some of the advice that you give on tactical steps to begin to even, I mean, landing Google as a partner is obviously a huge win, but there surely was a lot of work that led up to that. Yeah. So that was, uh, actually pre my, my time. Um, but there's, there's one thing that I think is important to point out about, and th this also touches back on what we were saying. So in, in my specific role, I'm looking for ways to like scale experience and learning. I'm not looking to individually workshop with these companies. So it's hard for me to comment on like particular strategies or tactics. Those were probably, or those were definitely worked on between the CEO and the investment partner uh, on our side of frontline. So in the case of Pointy, if you spoke to Will Prendergast, he'd be able to tell you exactly what the tactical requirements were. On the platform side, what we did was kind of create supporting materials. So for example, we created a, a US EU to US playbook that outlined everything CEOs and founders need to know if they're thinking about expansion, things like visas, tax, different tax requirements, Delaware core, all of that kind of stuff. So it's very hard for me to, uh, you know, specifically comment on even like individual tactics at individual companies because I operate up here uh, sure. and across the 70, the 70 companies. All right. So let's stay up there and talk about some more of those playbooks then. What are yeah. some of your other favorite <laughs> playbooks that are that seem to be most effective across the portfolio? Yeah. So I think... Uh, um, we, you know, Frontline was actually the first fund to hire for a platform in Europe. Oh, wow. And yeah. Uh, as soon as, as, as we started, actually, in 2012. Um, and at the time, my predecessor, it was just her and I think one other head of platform. And they were like, what is this? What are we <laughs> <laughs> And they kind of built the European ecosystem, uh, which is really cool. I was previously doing a similar job um, at Inside Venture Partners in New York City, where there already was quite a mature ecosystem. Um, and so when I moved for when I moved back into Europe, and when I moved into this role uh, at Frontline, it was about trying to identify. You know, we're a small fund. There's 14 of us. We don't pretend to know everything. We don't, and we don't want to be everything to everyone. We want to uniquely deliver. Uh, on areas that we are uniquely positioned to deliver for. Um, and as I mentioned to you before, we want to identify critical inflection points in the journeys of our companies where we can say, okay, based on our experiences, we can add value here, 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 and there. Um, and so that has turned out uh, into kind of like a five-prong strategy where a big part of that is content and playbooks. Uh, and a big part of that is helping educate and helping um, supplement uh, the experience of our founders through in-depth research. And the EU to the US playbook is a great example of that. There's another one that we worked on, which was a talent acquisition strategy playbook, which was quite valuable. And it's literally the A to Z of everything you need to think about and have installed in your business if you wanna start making senior hires. That's really critical at an early stage. Um, the most important piece of you know being up here at the high level is really maximizing the peer-to-peer -peer learning and networking. So thinking about how our network at Frontline can supplement 
the experience of our founders and also how they can learn from each other because let's face it they want to learn from each other they don't want to learn from us and they shouldn't be learning from us because <laughs> they have you know 70 other peers that have gone through the right. same pain points as they are so a lot of my time is spent uh, thinking about how i can uh, maximize peer-to-peer -peer learning and we and we run a series of programs one of them is um we're just about to launch actually i don't know if you're familiar if you've heard of ypo yeah of course we've kind of designed uh our version of ypo which works quite differently from it but the concept at heart is the same basically pairing up ceos within our portfolio with each other and having them meet regularly to become a support system and a support network and to exchange ideas and grow together um and then that's a big part of it we also host kind of workshops educational workshops for all of our ceos on very tactical specific issues uh you know these are small they're private we have an expert in the room and we have a ceo who's done it who's been there who can speak to hers or her experience and then we also have a large ceo summit where we basically bring everyone together and the last piece is kind of we spend a lot of our time thinking about um you know how we can save time essentially for the ceos and so i spend a lot of my time gathering databases on vetted vendors you need to find a marketing expert i can probably tell you who you should reach out to i vetted you know 15 of them you need a pr agency that's going to hire for this specific role in this specific region i can probably help you do that so um that's kind of the the, the gamut uh of the platform offering and it all gets tied together uh, by a continuous process of survey and feedback with the portfolio CEOs where we identify exactly which actions have actually yielded an impact on the business. And we double down on those and everything that has not yielded an impact on the business, we kind of cut out. I'm curious, with COVID and everything, work from home has engagement with platform and, and the CEO's reliance on this increased? Uh, I would say at the beginning, definitely. Um, you know, we hosted quite a few workshops around thinking about cutting operating expenses. Uh, again, a lot of our, you know, our, all of our companies are early stage. Uh, they don't, not all of them have six months of runway in the bank. Uh, so we spent a lot of time kind of helping them think about how they could stay afloat. Uh, if things really got bad. Um, and then we also really ramped up our um, engagement with the CEOs directly. So typically we run uh, one of these CXO events. These are the tactical workshops once a quarter. Uh, once COVID hit, we started running them once a month. Um, we typically publish a blog post on a topic that we believe will be of interest to the CEOs um, also once a quarter. We've been doing them once a month. Um, and so and just generally on a one to one uh, level as well, all of us just being more in touch, just being more present, trying to support where we can. Um, you know, one of the things that that we did, which was small, but actually ended up being quite appreciated was we have a lot of founders and CEOs that are families. Um, they have children and, you know, no schools and just impossible to kind of make a living. So we thought, how can we support them? 
and we sent activities for their kids to complete to kind of buy oh, wow. the parents an hour or two uh, to either work or have a glass of wine. I don't know, maybe take a shower. Uh, <laughs> some, uh, and, you know, we're just trying to think of out of the box ways that we can support them uh, in what is really unprecedented and really tough. Uh, as we wrap up, what what's the uh, what are you most excited about in your role uh, across all the portfolio companies? What do you what gets you excited about the future? I'm really, you know, uh, my role has only existed for uh, you know eight years. Well, eight years if you count the actual you know founding date. But I'd say in the last five years, we've seen so much development, and it's still changing so much. When I first was when I first be, uh, um, was in this type of role, there were about a hundred of us in the global community. Now there are seven hundred, and that was five years ago. So you know things are exponentially growing. What I'm really excited about is that we're starting to really the the big difficulty in platform or growth strategy type roles is the ability to actually quantify how much value or not you are adding to your portfolio companies. I'm really excited about the idea that we're starting to break ground there. So we have our own internal process at Frontline, which works well for us and, and kind of really helps us quantify, you know, how what percentage of all the actions that we do across the team for the portfolio are delivering high impact. It's still kind of like a, a a labor of uh, manual labor of love uh, for the time being, but more and more you start seeing uh, solutions out there. You start seeing things like landscape ventures, or I know there's the U.S. equivalent uh, where founders are able to rate their investors and just bring in a lot of transparency into the process and a very necessary feedback loop that actually helps us be better. Um, so I'm excited to see the next generation of that. Amazing. Well, Carolina, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This is a fun conversation. Thank you. This is great. Thank you very much for having me on.